0: Promise No Promises Seeing into the Heart of Things The podcast Promise No Promises unfolds a further series. Seeing into the Heart of Things Earth and equality within indigenous and ancestral knowledges. This collection of episodes emerged from the Master Symposium in fall, moderated by Truce Martinez and Quinn Latimer, at the Institute Art, Gender, Nature, HGK, FHNW, in collaboration with Culturescapes 2021, Amazonia. The contributions to the symposium were devoted to discussing indigenous thought, decolonial feminisms and the political possibilities of the mythic imagination. Certain questions will preoccupy us. How do indigenous cosmologies create forms for resistance? How does the Western imaginary of the Amazon, from its roots in racial capitalism to its corporate tech paternalistic present, cloud our understanding of how its people and non-human spirits narrate themselves? How do ecological and decolonial practices find their form in the visual and oral matrices of indigenous narratives across the world? Since the long 16th century, the organization of the world has found its hegemonic form in hierarchies of power and possession. Between those who exploit and expropriate and those who are exploited, and whose lives, lands, and resources are expropriated. This is not the past, nor a function of ideology only. If the projected supremacy of one form of life over all others is only made possible by manifold forms of violence, one of these forms remains the invention and constant reinvention of nature by colonial cultures. This invention rests on an idea of progress in which nature is construed as what one emerges from. Indigenous ancestral epistemologies hold a different understanding of the real, though. The land owns us, Aboriginal Australians might say. This podcast series features talks of Vandria Borari, translated by Carolina Brunelli, Katerina Botanova with Quinn Latimer, Paulina Fyodorov, Katya García Anton, Davi and Dario Kopanawa, translated by Sara Saltalamacchia, Nobotic with Anna Gathon Sabugal, Jeremy Narby, and Ashvika Rahman. What happens to the land happens to the people. Katja garcia anton director and chief curator of the office of contemporary art norway in oslo trained as a biologist she conducted field research in ecology and behavior in the amazon and sierra leone and then transitioned into the arts with a master in 19th and 20th century art history from the coteau institute of art london Katja garcia anton is currently devising a program activating decolonial thinking with colleagues from Afro-Norwegian communities in Norway. She has been a member of the curatorial group, which made the historic transformation of the Nordic pavilion into the Sami pavilion of the Biennale Art 2022 in Venice.
1: My talk today brings the discussion a little closer to home. I'm going to be talking about SAPMI, as the Sami homeland is called, a nation which has been divided by four colonial states, Norway, Sweden, Finland, and Russia. So we are in Europe, in colonial Europe. And the talk is called, What Happens to the Land, Happens to the People. It's actually inspired by the words of a Chickasaw author called Linda Hogan in her Marvelous book, Dwellings, A Spiritual History of the Living World, which I really recommend you to dig into. And I chose its title because I chose this sentence because it brings us immediately to two of the core elements which are relevant to the more than 5,000 indigenous nations that today compose a population of between 350 and 500 million indigenous peoples globally. So these elements are, on the one hand, a shared epistemological, ontological, methodological understanding of the indivisibility, of reciprocity, of kinship, and duty of care between peoples, lands, waters, fauna, flora, spirits, and other than humans. Um, And on the other hand, a shared experience of genocide and ecocide generated when colonialism, when modernity, attacks those bonds of reciprocity and kinship. And these values embedded in this title are also reflected in the core of Sami perspectives in in Satmi, in the Fenoscandian region, in this region which we call the Nordic region, for whom, as this evocative GIF by the Sami artist Marit Anna Sada so clearly says, there is no post-colonial. And I think that's a very important statement because so much uh, thinking around indigenous perspectives cites post-colonial theory. So today I wanted to share with you my point of view and experience as an accomplice for Sámi Perspectives over the last eight years, whilst leading the Office of Contemporary Arts in Oslo, Norway. And as an art professional, I think we all speak from a context, from a position, and as part of my accompliceship to Sámi and to indigenous peers, it's important that I reveal my position to you in the form of this introductory protocol, which reads so, I acknowledge the institutional privilege and the enunciative power incumbent as leader of the Office of Contemporary Art Norway. I underline the illegitimacy of forcefully created nation states upon indigenous lands. I condemn the historic and current crimes of genocide and ecocide, to which nations like Spain and Great Britain are connected, and that I am a part of as a binational citizen of those nations. I recall that Fenoscandia and the Nordic nation states, which are my current professional context, are no exception here. And I am grateful to all Samian indigenous peers that I have met and worked with over the years, and especially to all elders, for the knowledge that they have so generously shared. So to be accomplices, we need to build knowledge, we need to understand what that colonial context is in which we operate, that we are a part of, that we continue to strengthen in so many ways. And there are no better words than those of the Sami poets and artists, seen of a person, to comment on Sapmi's ongoing experience of colonialism. When Otta, the Earl of Halleik, sailed north along the coast of Finnmark to the Kola Peninsula in the 9th century, he reported to the King of England that he saw no one else than some Sami until he rounded the peninsula by the White Sea. So, what happened to this land? How did it disappear? Where did it go? I live in the land of devils, witches, monsters, they've said. In the land outside the map, in the nothingness, in a history beyond history. The Sami history made invisible. On the real map, the Sami names are washed out, do not exist. Every mountain, every lake, the remotest places. Where is my land? Is it a trauma, a dream? a utopia. Who are we? Strangers, foreigners, guests in our own land, brainwashed to believe the pseudo stories about ourselves. A history that modern Scandinavian states do not want to hear. No, there were no military forces, no shooting, no killing. They did it in a human way. Their refined cruelty. The assimilation programs, loss of language, culture, history, land, the shame brought upon us. Otto the Earl sails on. The land is explored, the people civilized and tamed to silence. This time, they suck the rest of the fjords, the mountains, the fish in the big ocean. All the resources, the natural richness of the Arctic. She is an extremist. Don't listen to her. We've been supervising her for a while. The voice of the poet. The need for a voice. We've given this people citizenship, equality, welfare, education. What do they want back to the Stone Age? We want stability in the region, borders, control. We've saved this uncivilized people from poverty, taught them to read and write our language. The poets should tell stories of beauty, the northern lights, the midnight sun. We have no problems. We've solved them by eating them. We own the land. You're our citizens. Unsubscribe the map of the colonizers. It's a poem called The Land Outside the Map of 2016. Sinova person experienced firsthand the strategies of assimilation that have led to ecocide and genocide against Sápmi. Initiated with first contact, and that led eventually to its formalization in the form of a brutal state policy called Norwegianization, launched in 1851 and supposedly officially ended in 1987. She was also part of the legendary Alta action between 1978 and 1982. An action started as a Niko rebellion that united Sami peoples across the Nordic region with global indigenous peers, Nordic and international accomplices. It developed into the first indigenous rebellion in Europe, catalyzed by the Norwegian government's secret plan to build a large dam on the Alta River that would have flooded vast areas of Satni, forcibly removing Sami people, drowning knowledge, livelihoods and spiritual sites. The Alta action was a moment of hope a chance for possible alliances to collectively rewire society across the Nordic region and internationally. And we know it impacted the whole of the Nordic region, and in Norway some gains were made, signing the ILO 169 Convention of the United Nations for the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. The Sami Parliament of Norway was created in 1989, although it has no legislative power, and a Sami cultural infrastructure began to be built, mostly around language and education. However, we also know that the sovereignty of SADMI was never negotiated in Norway or across the Nordic region, and this means that large parts of what is today called Norway, most of it, in fact, is premised on unceded land, and crucially, That SATMI's core worldview, the interdependence between Sami land, waters, biomes, spirits, people, and other than human entities, the understanding that culture and land are one and the same, indivisibly bonded, was never acknowledged. Which is why today the Norwegian government, all Nordic governments, engage with Sami people and culture as if they were separate from the land that culture and people are a part of. Despite the initial opening up that the Alta action catalyzed, the decolonial momentum that it started to generate stalled by the 1980s, coincidentally just when oil was discovered in Norway. The colonial apparatus continued and continues to be embedded at the very heart of Nordic democracy. From health to education, from green energy to environmentalism, from culture to law and economy. And today, more than 40 years later, young Sami generations seem unanimous in their assessment that the very survival of Sápmi, epistemologically, ontologically, methodologically, is at stake. And this is the part that I wanted to get to, because I think all of us in this room are probably interested in being accomplices to indigenous peoples' concerns. But before I get to that, I actually want to offer you perhaps some extra motivation about this accomplishment by placing some connections, unexpected ones perhaps, between Sápmi and Switzerland. And they are bittersweet. The first one is historical and personal. In the figure of the incredible Skolt Sami Lady, Kaisha Gaurilov, and the Swiss man who befriended her, Robert Crote. Krote was born in St. Petersburg in 1908 to a Russian mother and a Swiss father, and moved to Switzerland at age 10. He studied in Basel University. And after a long period of ill health, he found his way to Sámi village of Suonikile, in the Sapmi side of North Finland, where he was nurtured back to health by Kaisha. It was a chapter of his life that marked him forever. The year he spent there has been dramatized, actually, into a beautiful short film by Kaisha's granddaughter, the Sami filmmaker Katya Gaurilov, which is called Kaisha's Enchanted Forest, and I encourage you to see it. Korte remained close to the Skoll Samis that he lived with, and after World War II, when the re-carving up of Skolt Sami lands took place, with more land loss, forcible removals, famine, destitution, and human tragedy, he decided to set up a Skolt Sami Foundation, fundraising support for the plight of the Skolt Sami people. Now, the second connection is a less gracious one. It is of today, and it is commercial the controversial construction of the largest windmill park in Europe, Fossen, cutting across Sami land without Sami consent. The Sami are fighting against it because the park is destroying ancestral reindeer herding sites, carving areas essential for the continuity of reindeer herding, pivotal spiritual sites. And 40% of this windmill park is owned by Crédit Suisse. It is nothing less than green colonialism. So I'm sending out a call to all of you now, to the art field in Switzerland, to work with your young Sami artist peers, to ask Credit Suisse to disengage from Fossen. So if you want to know how to connect to the Sami movement in Fossen, please contact me later, and my email will be at the end of this talk. And I do mean it, because they really do need more support. So, coming back to accompliceship. In Satmi's case, the accomplices need to really connect with the perspectives of the younger generations, of daidars and Dwoyars, Daidars and dwoyars Daidar was a name given in the 70s to practitioners working with what we in the West called art. dwoyars is the bigger epistemological category in Satmi, i I'll be talking about that in a little moment. So, daidars and dwojars. For them, the struggles of the Alta action continue, and many would say that they are worse than ever. For them, their goal today is survivance. Survive, resist, and be present. Across all of the struggles that continue to impact Sami society, against the ongoing colonial apparatus in the Nordic region, including, the green colonialism of the Fossen Windmill Park that I mentioned earlier, and against the impact of colonial extractivism, like in the Fjord, where toxic dumping of global cooperative mining is taking place in Sápmi, in the northern part of Norway. And here, Sami campaigners led by artists, politicians, and land guardians have succeeded in convincing the main investor of this mine to disengage. The German company Aurubis a month ago, announced it was disengaging. So it is possible. And one of the leaders of that campaign, Beska Nilas, is one of the members of the Sámi Pavilion's curatorial group in Venice, in the biennial in 2022, that I'll be talking about a little later. So many Sami people are exhausted by the hundreds of court cases against Nordic governments to defend their lives and lands in the face of colonial policies, extractivism, green colonialism. But the paths of politics and law are running out for Sami. And for many, the only choice in which survivance can be activated is actually through the space that we in the Western system call art. Imagine being able to speak all the world's languages without saying a sound, to reach people's hearts first and then their consciousness. The anger you are carrying suddenly finds a way to emerge, but in a more creative form, stronger than iron. Art for me is that." These are some recent words by the Sami artist Anders Suna. And like Anders, there are so many Sami didars and doyars, who are leading projects across Sápmi in which their practices come together with nature guardians, herders, fisher people, spiritual leaders, scholars, thinkers, in order to heal, to repair, to resurge. Key areas of Sápmi heavily attacked in the past and today by colonialism. And at the core of this process of healing and repairing and resurging is the Sami understanding that humans are not at the center of the natural environment, nor disconnected from it, and that the land and everything it provides to human existence is a gift, which comes with a responsibility to honor those relations, to honor that kinship, to reciprocate. And it is through this duty of care towards those reciprocal relations that one's ability to live a good life is measured. And as Sami professor Howard Gasky understands it, this generates one's caliber as a human being. So these are the central elements of a Sami worldview, and it is in their defense that the young Sami generation of didars and Dwoyars are mobilizing. With practices such as that of Frederick Prost, Repairing the monumental damage that colonialism and Christianity have inflicted upon Sami spiritual perspectives with the theft and burning of the Noaidi drums. Or Oti Pieski and accomplice Eva Christina Harlan, revitalizing Sami matriarchal spirituality with the resurgence of the Ladjogapir, the woman's horn hat that was stolen. Burnt by colonial, patriarchal, Christian movements. Or the sida skuolle, sida being the governance system, the ancestral governance system in Sápmi. And the sida school is gathering and patching back together the remaining knowledge of Sámi self-governance. Or pile of Sápmi protecting Sámi reindeer herding. Protecting fishing rights, as in the movement Elos de and defending river sovereignty, as in the Moratorium Project, resurging not just Sami livelihoods, but their interrelated ways of being, thinking, doing, and seeing. And these are all being led by Daidars and Warriors, nature guardians, spiritual, language, and knowledge holders. And more than decolonizing by dismantling colonial systems, what they're doing is they're Sammifying these old projects that heal, repair, and research by creating, through the spaces of art, new Sami-led realities and Sami-empowered futures. So I've mentioned all these points to emphasize why accomplishment has to be driven by the perspectives of Sami and indigenous peoples. And here are two important and interrelated principles of those perspectives, one Sami, one Chickasaw, that are central to any form of accomplishment. For the first, I credit Professor Harold Gaski in his paper on the centrality of elders in Sami worldviews, where he speaks of lachtet olmolakai, to behave like a human being, and guldalit, which he describes as to listen to and listen for, explaining that the traditional Sami approach is to listen to and listen for the messages from nature, and that this ability to gullat, to hear, has always been respected and regarded as a vital competence for ongoing survival, not only as a Sami one, but as a human one in general. The second principle is by the Chickasaw author that I mentioned at the very beginning of the talk, Linda Hogan. In her conclusion, here is a lesson, what happens to the land happens to the people. Gaskis and Hogan's notions are vital to make us aware of how hegemonic, interrelated practices of modernism and colonialism have attacked the heart of indigenous existence, repressing, eliminating relations to land, waters, and all elements. Extinguishing indigenous ways of thinking, being and doing in the world. And this is why we in Oka have been collaborating over the last eight years now with SAPMI, co-building institutional work as accomplices through dialogues and gatherings, journeys, collaborations, leading to exhibitions, conferences and publications. And why we, amongst many other things, started using a SAPMI land acknowledgement. which we composed carefully with discussion with a number of Sami peers, an acknowledgement that signals an active commitment from our organization and that inspires us, and which reads like this. Oka acknowledges the Sami as one people and as the indigenous people of the Venoscandian region. On the land of this region, Sápmi, the Sami people have lived since time immemorial, respectfully harvesting from nature by fishing, farming, hunting, following reindeer, amongst other activities. And we pay respect to the deep knowledges of land and water, as well as to the spiritual practices and world perspectives that have and continue to inspire Sapmi across all of its communities. So, the final section of my talk to you today is about sharing a historic project for the Nordic region and for our institution, the most elaborate and work-intensive project of semification that we in OCA have ever engaged in, and it is the transformation of the Nordic pavilion in the Venice Biennale into the Sami pavilion. We'll be doing that, launching it next year in 2022. And it's a complex endeavor, given that it's situated in the heart of a most colonial frame. And at the core of the Sámi Pavilion project is the work of three Sámi artists, Marita Nasara, Anders Suna, and Paulina Fyodorov, who will be speaking later. They are from the different sides of Sámi, divided by the nation states between Norway, Sweden, Finland, and Russia. And I'm going to briefly talk a little bit about their work. But a word first about the Sami Pavilion as a project, because it is presenting the work of three artists, it is proposing a transformation, and above all, it's proposing a methodological process, a way of working that centers Sami perspectives almost every step of the way. And to do so, we're working with many, many Sami peers, ranging from the elders that are talking with the artists the curatorial group, which includes two Sami peers, Lisa ravna Finbok, beska who I mentioned earlier, and myself. The Pathfinders, who are a Sami youth group who will be doing the mediation in the pavilion during the Biennale. A language group centering language and orality. Sami-led design and publishing. A special film project called ARAN with the Sami Film Institute. Five days of indigenous curatorial gatherings called Abakwad, coming from one of our indigenous global advisors, Wanda Nanibosch, and also a poet, a word weaver in residence, Timimi Marak, whose powerful words will be shared with you tomorrow. But back to the core of the project. I've got three short films, one for each artist to share with you, and I'll be starting with Anders Suna. Anders Suna comes from a family of forest reindeer herders on the Swedish side of Sápmi. I'm going to quote some of his words. I live in darkness, where the mining industry machines are menacing, where black tanks occupy grazing grounds and police forces powerfully remove reindeer. I stare at the face of a capitalist modernity every day as it rampages through the land I live in with its feverish dreams of progress and addiction to energy consumption. My work is about shouting loudly about its reality. The starting point of my art is often my own family history. My family is from a Sámi village in the north of the now nation-state of Sweden, and we have been in a 50-year legal battle for the rights of our Sámi village to reindeer herd a right that was taken away to, uh, from us by the state. So after 50 years of fighting, and despite the fact that Sweden has signed the United Nations ILO Convention 169 in defense of indigenous people's rights, the Sunna case has only escalated into absurd complexity. They have been evicted from their own herding lands, their ancestral earmark registration, which is inherited from generation to generation over hundreds and hundreds of years, has been removed. And although there are amendments in the Swedish law indicating that the Sunna family are right, and that the state misinterpreted the law, no court or institution seems to have the power to undo or compensate for this fatal malpractice. So literally, darkness has been a sanctuary for the Sunna's as working in the dark became the only way to continue to herd, as pirate reindeer herders in the forests. Andersuna has often described himself and his family as stateless people, and his paintings, murals, installations, poetry, are as much tools of contestation with immediacy. The works evoke totalitarian occupation and brutal slaughtering, but they are also works of healing for him and for his family and whether using paint or poetry, animation or performance, his work represents a tenacious will, and here I'll use, if I may, borrow Audrey Lord's words, a tenacious will to learn to orchestrate fury so it doesn't tear us apart, and a determination to stand up, subvert, survive in a fight with the Swedish state and with their non-Sámi neighbors and even with some Sámi peers, because the ultimate state victory is, of course, to divide and conquer. I'm now going to pass over to a short film of uh, Marita Sara, who is living on the Norwegian side of Sámi. Marita Nasara is based in Govdegeno, in the Norwegian side of Sámi. She comes from a reindeer herding family and has lived firsthand the struggles that reindeer herders face with colonial laws in Norway and the Nordic region. Laws that treat their herding as a purely economic activity and that use the European Union's pig farming regulations as their standard, conveniently ignoring the cultural and spiritual loss when Sami herders are forced to abandon their practice. Maridana is an awarded novelist with narratives based on Sami cosmologies that explore the tensions felt by Sami teenagers growing up in families that fight to maintain deep Sami worldviews in the face of the modern values of consumption increasingly around them. And for the past ten years, she's focused her artistic practice as a daidar and a dwojjar in a slightly different way. So here, I, I think now is a good time for me to tell you a little bit more about Dwoji, because you can really see it in Maritana's work, the way she's working with materials, but it's so much more than that. So Dwoji, which is spelt D-U-O-D-J-I, Dwoji, is in fact the relevant epistemological frame for any maker of material culture in SATMI. And it encompasses an understanding and a knowledge of land and waters, fauna and flora, of seasons and materials, but also of ethical and spiritual values, all of which inform one's behavior and what and how something is made. And internationally, some of you may have come across Maritana's work, um, mostly in a piece called "Pile of Sapmi, presented in Documenta 14, and that we actually see um, a version of it uh, shown a few years later outside the Oslo Parliament. But I want to talk a little bit about this piece, because it's quite complex. It was a long-term process, work consisting of installations, festivals, screenings, debates, lectures, crowdfunding, performances, text, and so on, which brought attention to the case of Maredana Sara's brother, Yovset Sara, a young reindeer herder whose herd the state wanted to cull so drastically that it would have brought him to bankruptcy. But of course, eliminating the youngest and most fragile reindeer herders is clearly the fastest way to eliminate reindeer herding altogether. Jovsted, backed by his sister and family, fought back. They won at the district court, which actually you see on the left here, um, one of Maritana's installations. In a cold morning in February 2016, the district court in Tana opened its doors to find a pile of frozen reindeer heads outside of its doors with the flag of Norway at the top. So that trial was won. It went on to the regional court in Tromsø, and that was won. But the Sada family were defeated at the Supreme Court in 2018. And the impact of this long, exhausting, expensive, and crushing process brought Maritana to a new level in her work. And her current focus emerges from this, from the need to heal, to heal the wounds and the traumas inflicted by the colonial apparatus, to repair the bonds of reciprocity with lands and waters and animals, to resurge as a result, Sámi-knowledges and spiritual values. Resurging Sámi-spiritual values and knowledges is also about saying no to Christian hegemonic colonialism. Activating other senses, Maradona uses smell and sound also, because this is another way of breaking the visual regime and the linear time regime constructed by modernity and colonialism. And in her current work, what Maritana is telling us is that to heal the land is to heal the people. To heal the people is to heal the land. And whilst there are people and whilst there are land, there is still hope. And I'm going to end with a film about Paulina Fyodorov. Theater director, defender of the land and politician, Paulina Fyodorov has roots both in Kevajauri, on the Finnish side of Sápmi, and Sognil, in the Russian part of Sápmi. These are unceded, Skolt Sami lands, the same skald people who Robert Crote sought refuge with in 1938. Fyodorov's family has experienced deep loss at multiple levels. In the ancestral grounds of the Kola Peninsula, the Skold community were pushed out by the Finnish into Russia at the time of the Russian Revolution. They then endured Soviet-enforced collectivization, British-sponsored nickel mining that resulted in the requisition of Skold semi-forests and rivers and their forcible removal from the land, the degradation of the region by acid rain, health disorders. And after World War II, as the borders changed again, They were, again, relocated into then the nation state of Finland. And finally, in the last decades, climate change in the Arctic region, whose effects are experienced at an accelerated rate compared to the rest of the world, has added significant pressure to the Gold-Sami struggles. So within this crucible of geopolitical theft and abuse, ecocide and genocide, Paulina's work uses theater, performance, forest and river revitalization programs, and political work, such as the drafting of the Truth and Reconciliation Programme for Finland, which still hasn't happened, to purge bodies and minds from colonially transmitted forms of existence. Mindful of the matriarchal strength of spiritual and social organization, in ancestral sculptor Sami forms of being and doing and thinking, Paulina targets those areas, which were areas particularly attacked by colonial strategies of patriarchization, to recenter them, to recenter Sami matriarchal values in her work as lead activators of Sami sovereign living for the future. So, above all, her work is about reestablishing the bonds with lands and waters and honoring Skolt Sami's duty of care for the land. And as she says, there are traditional land-keeping and water-trading practices, very concrete ways of how to give back. For example, you give back to the river the bones of the fish. The bones will become a source of food for the young fish living there. And in the case of the forest, in the old days, when you slaughtered an animal, the insides of the belly were given back to the forest. It was a way to nurture the land and to enrich the biomass. If the river is still giving you fish, it's your duty to give back. And these sets of very strict rules come from traditional culture. And this is how I was taught to interact with the river, to ensure that the river stays clean, that it's not overfished, and that no harm comes to it. Giving thanks means that there is a bond between the two parties. It is a two way bond that always carries an obligation if both parties are to survive. And she continues Led Lichtu in Davisami has a meaning of alliance that includes negotiations. There are several places that are Led locations. This means places where the alliances and agreements are renewed. And the bond is between peoples and places, between people and people, between people and species, meaning that we have agreed to be on the same side, in symbiosis. So, as a conclusion, I want to end this talk by going back to the start to Chickasaw authors, Linda Hogan's words, here's a lesson. What happens to the people happens to the land. And whilst there is still land and people, there is still hope. And our work as accomplices is to work tirelessly to keep expanding that window of hope and to remind everyone around us that indigenous peoples always were and always will be, to borrow an aboriginal dictum, and that in the case of Sapmi, they are very much still here. So I would like to take this opportunity to thank again all those Sami Indigenous peers who've so generously helped our peers in my institution, Inoka, and myself, along our journey of Samification, of accomplishment. To thank you all for listening to these stories. Olugitu.
0: Promise No Promises is a podcast series produced by the Gender Center for Excellence, a research project of the Institute Art, Gender, Nature, HGK, FHNW, Academy of Art and Design in Basel, conceived as a think tank tasked to assess, develop and propose new social languages and methods, to understand the role of gender in the arts, culture, science and technology, as well as in all knowledge areas that are interconnected with the field of culture today. If you're interested to get more information about further podcasts and events related to this project, please visit dertank.ch or subscribe to our newsletter at info.kunst.hgk at fhnw.ch. Editing and voiceover Elena Caesar. Music Niklas Kammermeyer. Research team Tabia Rothfuchs and Marion Ritzmann. Press and Communication Anna Franke. Technical support Esther Hunziker, Karin Bohrer, Konrad Siegel, and Chris Handberg. Copyright at Institute Art, Gender, Nature HDK FHNW 2022.